Anyway, here's second thought. Are we this the baddies? This episode and others like it are brought to you by the generous support of my patrons on Patreon. And I've been asked directly, would you do it again? If you give me the same circumstances, I would not hesitate. Are we the baddies? Honestly, I, I, could, I could just leave it at that. Not great. Okay, friends, today we're gonna tackle a big topic, and one that might make my fellow Americans a little uncomfortable if you haven't grappled with this stuff before. Before we begin, I'd like to offer a quick disclaimer, because I know I'm gonna get a ton of misguided comments. I am not anti-American in the sense that most self-professed patriots would use the term. I love the land, I love my neighbors, and as a Texan, you better believe I love Whataburger. I am anti-American in the sense that I do not support the United States as a political project. A nation founded on genocide, theft, and- That's it. Alright, click away, brother. <laughs> this commie's gay, okay? At first, I thought to myself, there's no bisexual lighting. So, after he said to me that he's from Texas, I thought maybe he's a patriot. And then I saw that he said he's not a part of the American Global Project, and I realized then, uh, excuse me, there is nothing more American than advocating for endless empire, ceaseless empire, 800 military bases around the world, so that Raytheon can turn profit year after year. Profits that it won't even trickle down to its own goddamn engineers, brother. That's what America is about. America is about $5 jalapeno poppers and my dick not working because uh, my food is actual garbage. Because again, big mega corporations that are fancying themselves, they're working on the agricultural production side and also on food, have lobbied the government endlessly to ensure that they cut costs as best as possible and feed me poison but that's goddamn delicious poison and i'll kill you if you ever try to take that away from me america is about me having severe health complications like diabetes and then not being able to pay for my insulin because god damn it brother we got other priorities priorities that never seem to help me out i don't know i don't know what the priorities are really i don't know who's really getting helped out maybe the corporate bottom line but there is an america out there spiritually that's dominating and it makes me feel good it's all good that i got incredibly high blood pressure and my don't work and i can't go to a goddamn doctor because the last remaining rural hospital is a helicopter ride away turns out it wasn't profitable for there to be a hospital there and guess what that's goddamn all right because i'm american i'm proud to be a goddamn that's what being a patriot's all about, because I can have a gun, and I can purchase that gun at Walmart, and I can have my 10-year-old play with that gun at home, because I don't need a lock and key. And when that 10-year-old learns the hard way guns are really like, maybe he shoots his sister in the face, but guess what? Didn't like her that much anyway. Her vibes were and sure, I shot my dick off too one time, but that's all right. I don't need it anyway. The poison I've consumed has already destroyed my penis before I shot myself in the penis to begin with. So, didn't make much use of it regardless, but goddammit, that's what being an American is about. All right, let's get back to this gay comment now. Slavery has no right to exist, and certainly has no right to act as an occupying force all over the world, dictate trade agreements, fund proxy wars and death squads, foment coups, and generally act as a barrier to self-determination and genuine freedom. When people say things like, you're not patriotic, I find it a little disingenuous, because what could be more patriotic than recognizing your country's flaws and working to build a better society? Anyway, this is a massive topic. There's no way I can even mention all the crimes the US has committed, so I'm going to leave a bunch of resources in the description if you'd like to learn more. We'll start at the beginning, with the genocide of the Native Americans. When Europeans first laid eyes on what they called the New World- You mean the general lie, brother? <laughs> 
world, it's estimated there were around 15 million indigenous people living in North America. By the end of the 19th century, there were just 200,000. 14.8 million people were killed by these foreign invaders who, without any sense of self-awareness, considered the native population savages. Perhaps the most infamous period of the genocide is known today as the Trail of Tears, which lasted from 1830 to 1840. Excuse me, that seems quite a bit like a peaceful transfer of a indigenous population. Yeah, sure, a lot of people died in the process, but like, uh, I mean, all, the ultimate goals are like, they're away from the conflict, right? Why did the conflict begin? Uh, well, let's not talk about that too much. It, what you have to remember is the white civilizing force there peacefully. Yeah. Trail of tears. Tears of joy, brother. <laughs> That's a good one. Exactly. Yeah. What do you mean? They never specified what kind of tears. They were joyful tears. They were saying, thank you, white man, for moving me away from the conflict. Initiated by President Andrew Jackson, a war criminal and slavery enthusiast, and approved by the United States Congress, had the explicit goal of removing Native Americans from the land the U.S. was currently colonizing and relocating them across the Mississippi. The problem was most of these people didn't want to leave their homes. So naturally, the U.S. butchered as many as it took until the native population complied. The actual relocation process was incredibly dangerous, and thousands of people died of disease, starvation, or exposure to the elements. Of course, that was of no consequence to the U.S. government. They had achieved their goal. Vast me, new liberated. swaths of land to colonize and turn into farmland to be worked by an army of slaves. In the 247 years since its inception, the U.S. has been at war for all but 17 of them. The country sees itself as the world police, the shining city on a hill that has the moral responsibility to enforce our conception of society on everyone else. This country talks a big game about the importance- Okay, I don't think he understands, okay? I don't think Second Thought understands that our conception of how society should be designed just simply always ends up benefiting our bottom line. And not even like the American bottom line across the board, but the bottom line of like American corporations and corporate owners. And it just happens to be that way every time. What are the odds, guys? It just happens to work that way. And we're not haphazardly slapping that sticker on as a idiotic justification. You know what I mean? The United States has never once embodied those values. One early example is the Philippine-American War. At the end of the Spanish-American War, the United States annexed the Philippines. How about the annexation of the top of the hour ad break? Nobody's talking about that. The United States, a country halfway around the world, said too bad. By the U.S. State Department's own admission, the resulting war killed some 20,000 Filipino combatants and over 200,000 civilians with some estimates going as high as one million people. Another island nation was ready to surrender to the Allied powers. At the very end of World War II, Japan was thoroughly beaten. But even though the Allies were just beginning to celebrate victory, the United States had already set its sights on a new geopolitical and economic rival. The Soviet Union had grown from a pre-industrial backwater to the second most powerful nation on Earth in less than 50 years, and the US didn't want them to get any ideas. So on the 6th and 9th of August 1945, the United States dropped nuclear bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, vaporizing over 200,000 civilians. There are those who attempt to justify the bombing, 
saying Weeb. that it saved countless lives by ending the war. American arguments that justify American actions are so funny. It's always like, you don't understand. The firebombing was far worse. What do you mean? Okay, well, who was doing the firebombing? We were doing that too. You don't get it. It was a de-escalation. It was a de-escalatory bombing campaign. It's always for an earnest good thing, okay? America doesn't simply just, uh, you know, show off its cool toys as a flex to its potential future foreign adversaries, right? Like, that would never happen. This is misguided at best and an outright lie at worst. Japan was ready to surrender. This is an established fact. But perhaps more damning than that is the fact that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were chosen not because they were military targets, but because they were population centers. And what better way to scare a geopolitical rival than to say, we're willing to kill this many civilians in an instant to get what we want. The United States remains the only nation on Earth to have used nuclear weapons against other human beings. According to a report by the New York Times, the United States launched at least 81 overt or covert interventions between 1946 and 2000. Latin America was of particular interest, and saw regime change projects in Nicaragua, Honduras, Panama, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. Then you had the 1953 CIA-backed coup in Iran, which deposed the left-leaning, democratically elected President Mossadegh and reinstalled the despotic shock. Okay, but not to toot my own horn here, but um, they also impacted the bottom line of British Petroleum. I don't know if you know this, but those were our oil refineries. And then Mossadegh was saying that uh, those oil refineries should be nationalized and profits should go back to the Iranian people. And guess what? That was an investment that we made in America and England was willing to defend said investment of British petroleum. Sorry, sucks to suck. You shouldn't have had uh, a resource-rich nation if you wanted to not be exploited. As we'll see shortly, the CIA becomes especially vital to U.S. meddling in this period. Another one of their pet projects was trying to assassinate Fidel Castro, the revolutionary leader of Cuba. They made at least 668 attempts to eliminate the beloved leader trying everything from poison to gunmen to Looney Tunes-style exploding cigars. Despite the CIA's best efforts, Castro lived a long, healthy life, finally passing away in 2016. Perhaps the most infamous U.S. Nice. intervention of the era was the 1973 coup in Chile. In early September 1970, the people of Chile elected the Democratic Socialist Salvador Allende as president. Again, classic socialism doesn't work. It's just like, when will you liberals understand socialism doesn't work because it disturbs people in positions of power that are going to go and do everything they can if you even democratically elect a socialist. Uh, if you do a, a, a people's re a revolution, if you do a people's back revolution against a brutal dictatorship, well, guess what? We were working with those guys, turns out we don't like that. We don't like when you do that. If you actually democratically elect someone into a position of power and they call themselves socialist, well, we don't like that too. We're going to do everything we can to actually make sure that you understand that socialism doesn't work, okay? It doesn't work. That's why we have to show everyone it doesn't work by doing everything we can. The United States and the late Henry Kissinger didn't like that. A few months before the election, he had said, quote, I don't see why we need to stand idly by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its own people. <coughs> this was the empire's philosophy in a nutshell. On September 11th, 1973, the presidential palace was bombed, seized, and after delivering a brief speech full of hope for the future of Chile, 
again, if they knew what was good for themselves, they wouldn't have done that, right? It's, it's so irresponsible for them to, to vote for things like that. In Korea, what's often referred to as the Forgotten War here in the United States, the U.S. killed between 2 and 3 million civilians. The North lost a full 20% of its population. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that Korea is the Forgotten War. It's not that we've forgotten, it's that our government doesn't like to remind us that they slaughtered millions of people just so capitalism wouldn't have to contend with an economic challenger. But again, in that situation, it's also a, a American invention, the 38th parallel, is disrupted by the North Koreans. Again, another political designation that's just like uh, totally cultivated the, to, to fit America's needs. So, you know. And these are just two of the more well-known proxy conflicts during the Cold War. But there were many, many more, and they remain a favorite tool of the U.S. Empire to this day. The funniest parts about that is that, like, well, with the exception of, I guess, uh, Korea, which many people don't even talk about, every single thing that he's mentioned, even, like, the prevailing liberal attitude now, because we are so far removed from it, is that it was actually bad. The liberal position is always like, yeah, everything we did in the past, sure, that was bad. I will give it to you. That wasn't good. But what we're doing right now, which is identical to everything that we did in the past right now that's good we have to do that always and if you go against that and go hold on maybe we should just dial it back a little bit and really assess then your politics are just america bad that's all it is your politics are only america bad have you considered that maybe america good have you considered that maybe like the people that we are bombing are they hate gay people or they have really horrible conditions they have really horrible workplace safety violations you know they don't have good labor unions and a whole bunch of stuff that I've also made up now because I can do that because who's going to check? There's no coverage in the living conditions of the people on the ground. Yeah, liberals hate every war but this one, love every civil rights movement but this one. Casualties without talking about the Iraq War. Today, 20 years after the start of the so-called War on Terror, it's no longer controversial to say that the Iraq War was started based on a lie. This is a well-established fact. Anyone who tries to say otherwise is either in complete denial or is acting in bad faith. For the younger viewers in the audience, the United States made a big show of saying they had proof Iraq possessed weapons of mass destruction. They did not. And so based on false testimonies that served the interests of empire, the United States invaded Iraq and occupied it for years. What was once a vibrant, thriving nation was obliterated in what were called shock and awe campaigns. The US military targeted communications, electricity, vital infrastructure such as roads, bridges. The Iraq war is the perfect example of like how ridiculous this is because the guys who did it 100% were talking about how we must do it over and over again, okay? Dick Cheney and the like for years before we actually invaded for a multitude of different reasons, okay? And like still to this day, the defense of it at the time and still to this day from the reasonable foreign policy blob was that, well, you know, Saddam's actions against the Kurds in the country were unimaginable. They were really horrifying. And there is truth to that for the record, right? Historically speaking, there was so much that Saddam had done. He's a bad guy. What are you defending Saddam? And it's like infinitely worse to Iraq than Saddam could have ever imagined. Like, what are you talking about? This should be such a formative point 
point in recent American history. That's a little wild. It's wild to say that America's invasion, illegal invasion and occupation of Iraq is infinitely worse than what Saddam could have ever done to Iraq. That is not a contentious point. What are you talking about? This is the problem. Why were lips so anti-Iraq war at the time? Was it just Bush? I don't get it. There was still the, the remaining factions of like anti-war liberalism that were anti-Bush. And Barack Obama's administration absolutely destroyed that. Because Obama came in on an anti-Iraq war slant and then did the surge. And when you do that, and this is something I talk about all the time, liberals calcify the reactionary agenda. Liberals normalize the reactionary agenda. When George W. Bush, a reactionary Republican, is engaging in war, and then a liberal comes in, nobody was anti-war Iraq war at the time, it was like 90% support at the beginning. That is also what you're what you're describing is not dissimilar to the origins of the anti-Israel's uh, genocide of Palestinians. I hope you understand that. There were still absolutely voices and protests all the time, all over. They were just not getting coverage. There was no consideration for it. Every single person that actually stood against the invasion of Iraq considered anti-American, terror lovers, terrorist supporters. I mean, that's it. Something to remember is that, yes, there were still voices that were anti-Iraq war and they were yelled at in almost the same exact ways that people are yelled at now. Anything they could do to inflict maximum suffering. Over the course of the war, the US killed at least one million Iraqis. But beyond the evil of starting the war under false pretenses was the even more unspeakable evil of Abu Ghraib. This secret prison was operated by US personnel who engaged in torture, sexual assault, and other war crimes. I can't yep. even show the unblurred images here, but I'm sure you recognize- I mean, this is like the most recognizable one. Recognize some of them just from the silhouette. That's how infamous this prison was. Over the last few months, the Israeli occupation has drastically ramped up its genocide of the Palestinian people, using a surprise attack by the Palestinian resistance as justification. To be clear, this violence did not start on October 7th. The Palestinian people have been subjected to brutal colonial cruelty for the past 75 years. It's not a complex issue. If you don't feel confident enough to take a position yet, that's perfectly fine. I would just ask that you educate yourself on the subject, because this is one of those issues where people decades from now will look back and say, how did decent people watch this happen and do nothing? Israel is a client state of the US. It serves as a vital geopolitical foothold in the region. That's literally the only reason the US cares about Israel, regardless of how elected officials try to sell it. Don't believe me? Here's current President Joe Biden back in 1986. There's no apology to be made, none. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel yep. to protect her interest in the region. The United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. The US provides Israel with funding, weapons, ammunition, equipment for their missile defense system, and most importantly, unconditional support for their genocidal project. This is why I say like there is definitely a slight deviation from other administrations, definitely democratic administrations, but um, the slight deviation in this circumstance is that like the Biden camp and the voices that Joe Biden is listening to on Israel are so nutty that it is harming America's soft power globally. I'm telling you, there is no moral reason to defend Israel. We all know that already. Israel is doing an ethnic cleansing campaign. Israel is an apartheid regime. 
extreme. It's immoral. It's in. It's reprehensible. It's indefensible. But it's also not even pragmatic if your goal is to reinforce American dominance. It's not even pragmatic if your goal is to get reelected. Like that's the crazy part about this is that Biden is aligning with both MBS in Saudi Arabia and Netanyahu in Israel, two figures that despise him and have openly said that they do things that might even harm his re-election campaigns in the midst of a re-election campaign where he is phenomenally unpopular. It makes no sense. And I think it's partially because his brain is so perma-stuck all the way back at a time when like Israel was the mighty heroes in the Middle East that like conquered all the Arab barbarians that try to take it down. Brandon is many things, but do I think he's personally like a like a baby eater or whatever? Absolutely not. Like a Bill Clinton type is way closer to a baby eater than Joe Brandon. Joe Brandon is a die-in-the-wool liberal who believes it, okay? He's always positioned himself as like the middle ground Democrat, genuinely believes in a lot of the things he says. Because let me tell you why, okay? Let me tell you why I think this way. First of all, he's always been a liberal Zionist, 100% through and through. But beyond that, I always go back to the fact that he was a, you know, he's a senator from Delaware, one of the most corrupt states in America. It's basically like the Cayman Islands but inside of the United States borders at a time when like every other state wasn't like that, right? Now, most states are tax havens, but we won't even get to that. At the time, he was always about financial deregulation. He was a big advocate for financial deregulation. He had an incredibly long career in Congress. And yet, by the time he had made it to to the vice presidency, he still didn't have enough money to pay for his son's cancer treatment. Think about that. Like, to me, that spells that you are just like, you're doing it for the love of the game. Not even doing it for the bribery that you know not even doing it because you can make out like a bandit get some cushy consulting gigs or whatever just straight up love of the game okay you want the power for the sake of power but you also personally love like the idea of uh you know neoliberalism being controlled by the democratic party the officials are very nearly unanimous in their defense of the apartheid regime including one-time progressive champion bernie sanders I gotta pee. U.S. media uncritically repeats Israeli propaganda 24-7, despite all of it being debunked, including by intergovernmental bodies like the UN and humanitarian groups like Doctors Without Borders. Just a few weeks ago, the UN voted on a resolution to demand an immediate ceasefire. Of the 193 member states, only 10 voted against the resolution, among them the United States. Many people, myself included, believe that this unconscionable backing of the most explicit genocide in modern history will be the nail in the coffin of U.S. legitimacy abroad. No country on Earth beyond our Western European vassals will ever again believe a word the U.S. says about freedom, democracy, human rights, or self-determination. The only difference between the United States and Israel is that the genocide of Native Americans was almost absolute, and Israel hasn't achieved that goal yet. There's a reason Hitler spoke so highly of U.S. colonization efforts. It was complete extermination. And I guarantee you the same arguments we're hearing today from defenders of the Israeli genocide of Palestinians were used to justify the atrocities committed in North America. Just about everyone agrees that what the European colonizers did to the Native Americans was wrong. And now a couple hundred years later, we're doing land acknowledgements and pretending it was always unanimous that the genocide was bad. The same thing is happening with the genocide in Palestine. Well, that was grim. 
It's always hard making these videos. The answer is yes, we are the bad guys, but you don't have to be. That should be your takeaway from this. While America are the bad guys, you have the choice and the decision to be on the right side of history. And you can do that. We all have that power. I personally believe that I, I do that every day, okay? And plenty of you in this community also do that every day. This does not mean that you hate Americans. This does not mean that you hate America as a concept. That's why I live here. This is something I mention all the time. I used to mention it way more frequently, okay? People love saying, Hassan, hate America. And it's like, listen, I'm profoundly fortunate. Okay. I'm so goddamn fortunate that I had affluent beginnings so I could actually come to America with ease. And even then there was still a lot of hardships associated with that in comparison to a person who was just simply born here. I chose to be here. Okay. I worked to be here. Many of you that are in America didn't. Okay. This is before we even talk about so many people who work infinitely harder than myself to get here, okay? Infinitely. So whenever people say, oh, dude, like, you hate America, you hate America, it's just America bad, why don't you leave? And it's like, so frequently, I hear this from Republicans all the time, I still hear it nonstop, but I now hear it from liberals too, but they try to, you know, sauce it up in an intellectual way, I guess. And the issue is, it's because I like America, and it's because I see the potential of America, that I want to try and do my very best, as it is my moral duty, to make sure that America at least dials it back as best as I possibly can push for. When I advocate for universal healthcare, it's not because I want America to destroy itself. When I advocate for free college education, it's not because I hate America, it's because I, I want Americans to have a life of meaning, a life of dignity. I want the real American dream that was promised to people. And I know we have the wealth, we have the finances to make it work. And it's very, very, very frustrating when people try to engage in team sports, unironically end up identifying with the enemy team. If you consider Republicans and reactionaries to be the enemy team, then why are you identifying with their positions? You know, why are you criticizing people from the exact same perspective? When it comes to American foreign policy, many people fall into this trap. I didn't even mention the CIA's domestic operations or Operation Paperclip or the embargo on Cuba or the UN resolutions that show the US being the sole vote against classifying food as a human right or any number of other things. The bottom line is this, there is a reality that we are not exposed to here in the United States. There's a reason the majority of the world hates us. Not us specifically, but the nation. The flag on the invader's uniform. The United States is the single greatest barrier to progress in the world, bar none. This country is responsible for some of the most reprehensible crimes against humanity the world has ever seen. If you're thinking, but it says right here in my history book that the good guys won every war, maybe it's time to think about who writes the history books and what interests benefit from the American people remaining uneducated and blindly patriotic. You and I may be good people, but as the United States of America, yeah, we're the bad guys. Great video from friend of the show, Second Thought. Are we the baddies? And it's clear, it's concise in its messaging, and there it is.